Welcome to the New Zionist Podcast, a brand new show from New Zionist Congress. I'm Noah Shufatinsky. I'm Isabella Hazan. And I'm Blake Flayton. We're your three hosts, and we're here to offer a new, young, and authentic take on all things Zionism, Jewish culture, Israel, and politics. This week, we'll be discussing the Taliban in Afghanistan, cooperation between Israel and the PA, Mizrahi representation, and you guessed it, again, weddings and shit updates. <laughs> but first, what is New Zionist Congress? We at NZC are here to build a space where young people can meet to discuss their passion for Jewish self-determination, learn about Jewish history, Israeli history, and contemporary Jewish issues. In the name of every Jew who has ever lit a candle in the darkness, we're here to build a bonfire. So join our community of young and empowered Judeans. Make sure to follow us on Twitter at New Zionist and on Instagram at New Zionist Congress. And make sure to sign up and become an official member at NewZionist.org. I'm a proud part of the diaspora. In my heart, I hold Jerusalem and Africa. Kicked aside of our land and started gassing us. Till we put our foot down, cause we had enough. Check out the flag that I'm waving. Two blue stripes and a huge star, David. Check out the flag that I'm waving. Keep shooting rockets, but you never gonna take it. Bo, 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 Gertov. Bo, Gertov, Le Blake. And then? Bo, Gertov, to Isabella. Bo, Gertov, to Noah. Bo, 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 Gertov. Did I do it right? You did. Yes, you did it right. <sighs> Let's go. This was what? My camp did every morning. It was the Boker Tov song. We did Bo 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 Boker Tov. And then the whole camp would say in response, Bo 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 Boker Tov. Bo 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 Boker Tov. Bo 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 Boker Tov. And then it was like Boker Tov to Blake. Boker Tov to Blake. And then I had to pass the Boker Tov to somebody, but I had to do it like 10 times louder. So I would literally crouch down, like it hunker down and go, And the whole camp at 8 o'clock in the goddamn morning would scream at the top of their lungs, It was a good time. I miss camp. It's It's actually funny because I was at a Shabbat recently with a group and they were doing the same but for Shabbat Shalom. And I I was like, oh, I know this. (laughs) And I was trying to remember, what do I know this from? And that's where I knew it, it from. Was it Shabbat Shabbat Shalom? Yes. The yes. Award definitely goes to you, Blake. But we also had that um, on my bar mitzvah trip. I think it's a diaspora Jewish thing. It's just a thing. I am a diaspora Jewish thing, so that would make sense. Thank. I, I have just been coming into the realization lately of, yes, I'm a Zionist. Yes, I devote a lot of time and effort to talking about Israel and defending Israel. But also, I am 100% a product of the New York diaspora experience. For now. And listen, for now. But listen, I don't think that those two are in contradiction to each other. I think that they actually complement each other. I agree. Like, I can go to Zabar's and go to Katz Deli and go to Second Avenue Deli and, you know, live in Crown Heights and do all of the cliche New New York Jewish things and also be very connected to the Jewish particular experience alongside the Jewish universal experience. And you can fully enjoy and recognize that you are a part of the diaspora experience while also, you know, celebrating the Jewish homeland and the Jewish state. Well, Israel is literally kibbutz galuyot. It's the ingathering of all the exiles. Ooh, I like that. Exactly. Exactly. I just came back from Florida. I went to Ben's Deli. 
And you do look a little sun kissed. You're looking healthy. No, your hair makeup, is curly. So it's, you know, you see it, you see. But I went to Ben's Deli in Boca Raton and they had the funniest little art. I'm going to post it. And it was like, if you can't say it in English, say it in Yiddish. Or if you can't go to Israel, come to Boca Raton. And I, as you were speaking, Blake, it just gave me those Jewish diaspora vibes. I'm proud to be Jewish, but also like proud to be wherever, you know, a Jewish person is because we've always contributed so much to the societies that we live in. How did you enjoy? I've never been to Miami, but I know that people rant and rave about how special the Jewish community is there and how unique it is. Did you enjoy yourself? Why were you there for so So I was there for my cousin's wedding again. Another <laughs> wedding? Yeah, it was another wedding. But Are you setting up all of these marriages? <laughs> I wish, I wish. <laughs> so it was my cousin's wedding. And um, I thought it was so nice because she was marrying someone who's Ashkenazi. And, the, and there was like Ashkenazi traditions, but also like Moroccan safari traditions. And there was the Bodekin. Have you heard of that? Can you repeat it one more time? A what? A Bodekin. They just said Bodekin. Like Bodek, I guess, in Hebrew to check. And um, it's before the bride walks down the aisle. Um, everyone sees her, gets to speak to her, and they do something where like the, the groom will like unlift the veil. Kind of like the Leia vibes. And um, I thought that was so nice because usually we wait to see the bride walk down the aisle. But as the Bodekin was happening, there were so many people singing like so many Jewish songs. And it was like, crazy like powerful energy and I and I liked it like I wouldn't mind having a bodekin at my wedding what was super cool was that while the bodekin was happening there was safaris doing the UUs which are like like the you know what I mean yeah I can yep. do it properly well, but I don't want to kill that. whoever's wait, walking wait, explain do it explain to our it. audience you, you need because it's a fun little it's a fun little especially for an Ashkenazi person like myself going to a Sephardic event for the first time it's a fun little culture shock so explain what that is it's just like you use. I don't even know how to say it. It's like kind of like it is what it is. It's it's I don't want to do it because I lost my voice a little bit. So it's going to be it won't do it justice. <laughs> but how would you explain it? It's like it's like this sound that we do. It's like mazata, like like it's just it's it's a different sort of expression of of joy and of, of congratulations and of, you know, of goodwill that that Sephardi made. And it's, you know, it's women usually hear. do it. Also, it's usually only women. Women do it. And they also pelt people with little candies. Yeah. Like Simchat Torah at my synagogue is fully like a battleground. Like you, we better. Like my mom makes it a point to aim for my dad's head every time. Like went over the thing for to throw the candies. Yeah. We never did that in my synagogue and I'm kind of jealous of it. You guys don't we throw candies threw, on Simchat Torah? We never threw candies on Simchat Torah. We had the candies. At this, some of the synagogues I went to. We even throw candies when you have a new car. Like, that's like a thing. <laughs> Put candies in a new car. <laughs> like, I was at the Kotel. I was invited to pray Shacharit. And then before I knew it, they were bringing out a Torah. And there was a bar mitzvah and everything. And then people were like throwing all this candy. I was like, wow. Like, I just got wrapped into this. Because this guy's like, oh, you want to pray Shacharit with us? And then all of a sudden, his son or something. I was having a bar mitzvah. It was great. Oh, that's so funny. You're like, where am I? I wish I, I had my bar mitzvah at the Kotel. Yeah, that would be a crazy I experience. did not. I had it at the Cave Creek, Arizona, like, recreational center or something. Which, hey. I never had a party for my bar mitzvah. I had to, uh, my parents gave me the option of whether I wanted to have, like, an actual, like, soiree after my service. Or if we wanted to go to Europe for a week and a half as a family. Ooh. And 
obviously I chose the latter. I think I would have been stupid to chose to choose the former. I had never been to Europe before. And the, come on now. Yeah, I think that that's was, a good choice. That was far a better option to me than any sort of candle lighting ceremony or, you know, I don't know, playing iced tea and lemonade with your friends. So yeah, I learned a lot. And I'm happy because like, usually we have the henna and or sometimes and we have we put the henna on our hand so it was cool to learn about different Jewish traditions and seeing them you know fused together it was really nice I think that's one thing that's super cool like when you see it also in the diaspora and also in Israel is like no matter where you're at in Jewish communities you get that mix yeah Isabella what what Jewish wedding number is this for you in the past couple months um this month alone which is just started I think it's like my third oh my god and I have another one Coming my? up, my uncle. Oh my gosh. Well, I haven't been to a wedding since I was 10. So come to Montreal. It's literally so fast. Like you can literally come to I my- will come. No, no. I will come. You're both invited to my uncle's wedding. Isabella, don't even pl- Isabella, I- I'm not playing. I'm Wait, not when playing. Is- don't even play because I, be I will come. No, no, no. I'm not, ki- I'm not kidding. It's September. It's like the week before Sukkot. Come. And like I'm super close. Y'all see me walk down the aisle too. Hey. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god, I can't believe is are these all your relatives or are they close like family relatives. friends? Close. Close relatives in three marriages in one month. Four now. We were backed up because of COVID. It was it was rough. It was hard. <laughs> now all of the now all the pre-orders are coming in because they were backed <laughs> up. I will 100 percent come in September, but I'm also like September is gonna be whiplash for me because not only is it obviously Chagim for the first two weeks, but also the 20th anniversary of the Durban conference is happening this September and it's happening in New York City, which I don't understand why it is happening in New York City, considering the fact that the United States um, had pulled ha- has pulled out of the conference. Um, and for those of you who don't know what I'm talking about, the Durban World Conference Against Racism was a summit hosted by the United Nations that was that happened in Durban, South Africa in 2001. And it was sold as, it was marketed as the World Conference Against Racism. And it was supposed to be a, a meeting of all of the different uh, nations of the world to discuss international racism and bigotry and prejudice uh, and also to come up with a plan to mitigate those forces wherever you can find them. And as we all know, the conference rapidly turned into just a festival of hatred against Israel. It turned into an explosion of the Soviet propaganda that Zionism is racism. Horrible things happened at Durban, like the protocols of the elders of Zion were sold on the premises. Um, there were rallies and marches to Jewish community centers with people chanting that Zionism was Nazism. Um, Fidel Castro and Yasser Arafat spoke, calling for boycotting the Jewish state. There were flyers of Hitler um, with a little speech bubble next to him that said, what if I had one? Well, one thing, there would be no Israel that were passed out. Copies of Mein Kampf were passed out. 
Um, the Durban 2001 World Conference was just, it, it literally was only there to sideline any other people's suffering from any sort of injustice and only highlight the Palestinian experience. And also in alignment with the contemporary bias of the United Nations to kind of placate global human rights abusers and only make it about Israel. It was really the moment where anti-Zionism became mainstream. I mean, after the first Durban conference, the second intifada happened, and also the BDS movement became mainstream and globalized, especially in academia and also in entertainment and progressive circles. There was a noticeable shift toward anti-Israelism. And also it's it's the moment, the inflection point, when all the drama started happening in the Labour Party. Um, it's a little bit farther back, but I think we could easily point to Durban as the moment where everything that we're dealing with now in regards to anti-Semitism from the left started. Um, and now there's there's a 20-year commemoration, Durban 4, they're calling it, um, in New York City, even after the United States has pulled out because of its anti-Semitism. And also a bunch of other countries have pulled out. France just recently did. I know Germany has, the UK, Australia. Um, so I expect all the usual hijinks to ensue. But yeah, it's going to suck because it's wedged right between the high holidays and Sukkot. I think Erin Calder put it perfectly. He was there. Erin Calder is, um, is an attorney here in Canada. He's a human rights lawyer. And he's actually from Montreal. And he, when he attended, when he attended, um, he said it was a new wave of anti-Semitism. And Erin Caller has done a lot of great work um, documenting Durban and really calling it out for what it is, the hate fest that it was. Yeah, David Hirsch, who wrote the book, who's my one of my favorite authors, he wrote the book Contemporary Left Anti-Semitism, which kind of chronicles the sociology behind the Labour Party's problem with anti-Semitism. He called it um, the 2001 Durban World Conference Against Racism was a super spreader event for the 21st century variant of the anti-Semitism virus. Love the pertinent lingo. Just <laughs> waving the pride flag. There's a pride flag on my desk, and it broke this morning. The little wood broke, broke, so I'm just playing with it right now, and I'm just being <laughs> extra gay. I'm like, ugh, the Durban conference against racism was the pinnacle of 21st <laughs> it's so century anti-Semitism, and I'm so saying that hateful. while waving like a, like a little rainbow pride flag. <laughs> Because I need to do something with my hands all the time. That's why I can't be trusted at bars because I drink too much because I need to always be doing something with my hands. So I just drink what's in front of me. (laughs) (sighs) But I mean, it's it's crazy that it's happening in New York. Um, Like you said, especially after the U.S. pulled out. Doesn't make any sense to me. That's like, I'm going to have my bar mitzvah at the Hilton, even though... The Hilton recently told me that they think my bar mitzvah was racist. Like, I don't understand. That was a bad analogy. No, but it makes sense. It's like, how are you going to have a conference in a place that's not even taking part in the conference? That's not participating because they called it anti-Semitic. Yeah, I don't understand. But I, because I'm a political masochist and also just like a masochist in general, I feel like I might go down to where it's being held and just kind of investigate. Like, undercover, of course. Sunglasses on. Just... I'm a proud part of the diaspora. I guess we now all have to look forward to uh, the Taliban 
the Islamic Emirate of Afghanistan joining the the rank and file of nations who are president of the United Nations. Insane. And we're literally entering entering an era where there's still going to be a disproportionate amount of resolutions passed against Israel for the Human Rights Council while the Taliban is literally at the table. I, I'm not ready. I'm not prepared for that. <laughs> yeah, it's it's been a, a like devastating week just hearing the news stories coming out of Afghanistan and all the service members, the, serv- the women and men who are there and like no people who are there personally and the other people who can't get out. What's your take on Afghanistan, Noah? My take is I th- I'm very disappointed in, obviously it's not in, like, I, I don't like how people keep trying to make it seem like, oh, it's this politician's fault, it's that politician's fault, um, because this is an issue that, like, this was planned under Trump. And at the same time, I'm disappointed in Biden for not reversing the plan or rethinking that. Like, I think it was a, it was a mistake or to not- or just in the way that it was executed, like in leaving so many people there and leading so many interpreters there and also leaving so many weapons there that they're now just the Taliban's. Yeah, I think that he had the responsibility to make a better solution. I know that it wasn't his plan, but like, that's not an excuse. Once you're in office, you're in office. You need to take responsibility. That's his job. So I'm disappointed in that. He, he extended it for three months, but still the, the outcome and how, how it was done it kind of makes no sense. It makes you wonder what's happening behind the scenes because here we are. I'm sure I'm sure the president was briefed by the highest people. Like, why did he not take their recommendations? That's what I'm curious about. Like, how? Well, why? Yeah. Like, why was it done this way? I mean, like, I, I honestly don't have words. It's, it's been confusing the whole time to try and figure out. Like, and I you know, heard a statement saying that, like, oh, this is something that was inevitable as far as not like Kabul falling and the, and the Afghan government falling, but... The U.S. like had to leave, couldn't stay there forever. Um, and at this, like I, I heard his logic. What he said makes sense on paper. I still think it was the wrong decision. I just disagree with it. I heard Biden's, you know, explanation also, and I understand what he's saying and how he's passionate about not handing off this, this ridiculously long war to another president. And by the way, I will say that this is an indictment of all U.S. presidents that the Afghan government fell so quickly even after we've been there for 20 years and have spent trillions of dollars, you know? So it's an indictment of a lot of U.S. personnel, both political and military, um, that the training was just all for naught and no progress was made. I know we weren't there to, quote unquote, nation build. We were there to, you know, counter terrorism, but obviously we didn't do the latter either because the Taliban is pro-terrorism. It is a terrorist organization as far as I'm concerned. So like I I don't I, I think just all around this this was a mistake. I think it was executed abysmally. And yeah, and I I'm someone who campaigned and voted for Biden, but I'm also capable of criticizing him because I'm a fucking adult. Yeah. And I think it also goes to show, like regarding policy, something that I think also extends to a lot of different uh, places in the world, a lot of different conflicts, that there really is like a lack of understanding from a lot of countries about how you interact with like a local population and what you're getting yourself into. Like with the State Department, I don't understand, like this has been predicted for a very long time. Like you can pay money, you can send weapons, you can give training, but that can't forge like a unified democratic national identity. Like that, just money and, and weapons, it can't forge that. And I think that a lot of the decision makers up top, like 
they need to evaluate that. They need to reflect on that. And they've had time and time again to reflect on it because the, the worst part about this is this happened in Iraq, like since in the past several years, like we witnessed it happen. So I don't even understand like how this is something that's shocking to anyone and how that same decision could be made. Right. Well, the last remaining Jew in Afghanistan, as we have figured out, is not going anywhere. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, over the past few days, like I've seen all of, all of, like both of you have posted about this. A lot of other people have posted about this because a few months ago, there was a, a piece that was written about the last Jew in Afghanistan. His name's Zvulun Simantov. Um, and he had been living alone, like in Afghanistan, taking care of like a, a synagogue there on his own. He had permission from uh, a rabbi in Uzbekistan in Tashkent, uh, part of the Bukharan community, I believe, um, as far as like maintaining Kashrut himself, being like uh, recognized to do that because he was the only Jew left there. And for a long time, he had said he's not, he's not going to leave Afghanistan. He's going to stay there. He wants to take care of uh, the last synagogue. If he's not going to stay there, then who else will? Um, so that was like what a lot of people knew. And then a couple months ago, another article came out that said that like after the high holidays this year, He's going to make Aliyah, like he's going to come home to Israel. Um, that, that was his plan. Um, and then like no one heard heard anything about him since then. Uh, and when all this started happening this last week during the, the end of the Taliban offensive, um, people were saying like, what about like what happened to this, uh, this man, Zbulun Simantov? Like, is he still there? Did he make, he get to Israel before like the high holidays? Is like, did he change his plans? What's going on? Um, and there's a lot of quiet. People were were worried, thinking like, what is this going to mean? Because we all know the Taliban has a horrible, horrible, horrible record uh, when it comes to women's rights and also minority rights uh, in Afghanistan. But so apparently like an article came out that he came out and said that he's not leaving, um, despite planning on leaving before. Uh, he gave a statement saying that he uh, decided to remain in the country. Um he doesn't want to leave his home. He said, there's a quote that says, if I had left, there had been no one to maintain the synagogue. Um, and we recently found out that perhaps he is not moving to Israel for a very specific reason. Um, Zvika Klein, um, who is a uh, journalist uh, with Makor Rishon, which is a newspaper in Israel that I have actually interviewed with. Um, he tweeted recently, that breaking news, Afghanistan's last Jew, Zvulon Simantov, will not immigrate to Israel since he isn't willing to give his wife a get divorce. According to Jewish law, for years there have been attempts to assist his Israeli, his Israeli wife, yet he didn't agree. And if you're a listener of NZC, you know that we have discussed get and we know you would know that Zvulon is being quite problematic here. And Alvital Hizik Goldschmidt, who is a uh, Jewish woman who comments on these issues on Twitter a lot, quote tweeted this, this piece of breaking news and said, a get refuser would literally prefer to live under <laughs> Taliban rule than free his wife. Wow. That's a lot to unpack there. Literally. Why? So hard-headed. <laughs> so yeah, I don't, like, this is something that I had just found out today. Like, I saw the article saying he was going to stay there and take care of the synagogue. And then I just saw that uh, article, that statement today. If you're religious and you want to take care of the synagogue, maybe open the Torah, open the these religious books and see that, you know, get refusal is abuse. It's not in the spirit of halakha. And it's, so what are you doing being, what are you doing taking care of the synagogue, preserving all this Jewishness if you're not giving your wife a get? 
what is this for? Uh, what is the cinema? I think it's a French expression. My mom tells me, it's cinema. Like, literally, what is the cinema? I wanted to like The Last Jew in Afghanistan. <laughs> but is it true, though? So if it's I don't true, know. I don't know if it's... I mean, Zvika is a verified journalist. Um, but I don't know. 21 minutes ago, he posted an update of Simantov packing literally packing his stuff into a suitcase. And he's saying, here's Simantov is packing since he claimed he wanted to leave Afghanistan. Later on, he changed his mind. So maybe he is leaving now? Listen, I think that Zebulon Simantov has some explaining to do. <laughs> yeah, let him run from the Taliban first. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Like the same, there's no um, statement from him about this, like for some context, his wife and children, they came to Israel in the 90s and he stayed in Afghanistan, was remaining in Afghanistan. So I don't know. It seems like a very complicated situation that clearly is developing like by the 20 minutes. So I don't know. I hope that he's able to get out safe and then obviously figure this situation out if uh, that's the truth and give his wife a get. Wow. Men. Men. I think they should be abolished. I think I'm with, you. I'm with for the ab- abolition of men. <laughs> I also saw that um, the last year in Afghanistan, I saw it on an, actually an Indian news channel, how he stayed through the Soviets, the Taliban the first time around, and now and he said he's going to stick and stay there. I think that's also a reason from, from that interview that I saw that he just wants to stay with the land. Like, he's just attached. Yeah. And it's also interesting because... Uh, Herat, which is uh, one of the cities in Afghanistan that fell this past week, is historically a center of Jewish life. Like there are some of the oldest like synagogues in the diaspora there. Um, so there's like a, a really deep hit Jewish history there in Afghanistan, something to be preserved. And it's sad how much of it has been lost. There's also someone else who passed away in 2005, another Jew in Afghanistan, Ishaq Levi, um, who also had remained in Afghanistan for that same purpose of preserving Jewish life there because it's a unique tradition. And it's something that, is going to be lost. Like we've seen how the Taliban destroyed other religious sites in Afghanistan historically, uh, Buddhist sites, Hindu sites, um, sites of everything that's not their uh, interpretation of Islam or doesn't abide by Sharia law. So it's, I don't know, for me, it's, it's sad to hear these kind of stories. Hila Love on Instagram, who is a great activist, and then Isaac DeCastro uh, tweeted this, found the discrepancy between the way that the Instagram account uh, the Slow Factory Foundation framed the latest conflict between Israel and Hamas and how they framed now the Taliban takeover of, of Afghanistan. And their infographic for the Israel issue said, what is happening in Palestine is not complicated. It's settler colonialism and ethnic cleansing. And then for Afghanistan, they said, it is not possible to condense decades of conflict into a single Instagram post. What's happening in Afghanistan is complex nuanced and devastating. We encourage our community to take time to explore the list of resources. Oh. And then they give them a list of readings. I see how it is. Slow Factory Foundation, you're canceled. You have a double standard against Jews. And as funny as this is, because it exposes the ridiculousness of anti-Semitism so profoundly, um, it made me it made me laugh and cry at the same time. Haman of the week. Of all time. Haman of the week is Slow Factory Foundation on Instagram. You're so canceled. On a more positive note, though, Israel and the Palestinian Authority have worked together this week. Um, There was fires in Jerusalem, and the Palestinian Authority has sent some help. And I think that's really nice. 
And I think that some people may be surprised, but what a lot of people don't know is that, is that the PA and Israel work together all the time for water, for electricity in the West Bank. And I know the PA were very critical of them sometimes when they have the pay-for-slave policy where they pay terrorists um, and their families and, you know, their, their education books. But at the same time, I think it's so good to encourage, you know, a moderate or a somewhat moderate um, leadership compared to Hamas and the Taliban in the region. Because here's a future partner for peace if we keep working together. And I think, like, we need to celebrate these, I think, big wins. And I, and I love I love to see it. Yeah. And I think it's just, I don't know, those fires, scary, like, to see it. And to see that this was, again, Israel was calling for, like, international help at first um, to combat them. And Cyprus and Greece, I believe, had, like, reached out. Um, but at that point, like, the fire came under control at that time. Um, and the help wasn't necessarily needed anymore. But it shows that, like, in order to actually transcend this conflict, there's so many issues still with the Palestinian Authority and their policies. Um, and we need to make sure we continue to exemplify and, like, communicate the fact that, like, no matter what, we're living on this land right now. And we don't want to see it burn. Like, and people, I think everyone needs to be able to realize, like, it's not worth seeing all of our beautiful land burn. It was actually like good news, I think, for a lot of people to see that there is at least someone who is uh, willing to to do the opposite. Right. And at the end of the day, the people have a love for the land. That's what connects us and unites us all is this love for what we call Israel and what they call Palestine. And that will unite us ultimately. And I think this is a great example. But speaking of the Israeli government, are you aware of the recent speech by uh, the Likud member Miri Regev? That happened just this past week. Great Rish. So much better than mine. With my real dog. Just want to put it <laughs> Me, out there. Yeah, because so my roommate's moving to Israel in three days, ah. actually. And so she can't roll her R's. And so she, I, I've, been, I've been trying to... Because I grew up in taking French classes, which has that similar sound. Yeah. So Likud's Miri Regev. Faces back. Miri Regev. The Times of Israel posted this uh, Miri Regev. two days ago. <laughs> Miri Regev. <laughs> Iowa. <laughs> she she is she is facing backlash, Miss Regev, over claims about white DNA ruling the Likud party. So, uh, the Times of Israel says opposition MK uh, Miri Regev. Um, former Likud minister, is facing pushback from other Likud members after denouncing the quote-unquote white DNA of the party's leadership. In an interview with the Yedioth Aranoth Daily Published Friday, Regev, who has previously spoken of her hopes to be prime minister one day, noted many senior roles in Israel have never been held by Mizrahi Jew since the country's founding 73 years ago despite the majority of the Likud party members belonging to the community. Most of Likud's most senior members who are chosen in internal primaries are of Ashkenazi or European descent, as have been all the party leaders. If Likud members continue to elect leaders with white DNA, another Likud will emerge, a real Mizrahi Likud that will give Mizrahim a voice that has been excluded for years which a class correction must be made, she said. 
doubling down on her statement on Saturday, she told Channel 13 News that there is a Western elite here that essentially controls most of the Israeli centers of power. It is unacceptable that after 73 years, there has been no Mizrahi male or female prime minister and no Mizrahi male or female Supreme Court president. I think the day that after Bibi Netanyahu goes, Likud members will have to look inward, she told the paper. We have excellent, good, high-quality Mizrahi people who can lead Likud further down the road, which I think is where the controversy comes from because there is a history in Israel of discrimination um, of Mizrahi Jews and of, of Jews who are darker. Yeah, people don't talk about like Ben-Gurion statements and stuff. And, and Golda Meir's problematic actions. Yeah. And and yeah, there's there's been a history. It's also very hard to talk about because people love to tokenize mm-hmm. it. I have a hard time like, calling it out. But anyways, back to Miri Regev's thing. She said white. Yes, yeah, according to Times of Israel, she said, and that's where the controversy comes from because, of course, there is no such thing as white DNA. Exactly. That is a little bit of... Or Jews are not, quote, white. Jews are not, quote, white. I also think we have maybe a little bit of a, you know, American lens because I, I don't think they... I don't think Israelis... If you tell an Israeli Ashkenazi Jew... Um, you're not white, and they'll be like, "Yeah, but my my skin is is white." Like, what are you talking about? People are people are not with with this kind of language the way we see it. No, Noah, yeah. I see you nodding. Yeah, like I've I've interacted a couple of times where it's like people want to know what's your origin. Like your skin color is one thing. Like there'll be Ashkenazi Jews who mm-hmm. even are darker. They're like, "I'm not white. Look, my skin is like you." <laughs> or like I'll be well, with like other people, too, and they'll be like, "Where are you from?" I'll tell them I'm black and Russian. I'm like, oh, but I'm more black than you. I'm like, no, it doesn't mean the same thing. Like, <laughs> I think that, that I have an issue when people start to like import sort of these like American concepts and even concepts that I think don't originate even at the time where like Jewish identity originated. Like, I think that's problematic. I agree that there are issues here and like the, especially the city that I live in and the people who I talk to on a regular basis tell me like the stories of the way their parents or grandparents or even them have been like profiled and treated um, because there has been like a divide. And it's been predominantly from like the left-wing parties in Israel. And I think Miri Regev is bringing attention to the fact that also there's some issues, obviously, like in, in right-wing parties in Israel, that despite having a majority Mizrahi like constituency um, and even membership in the parties are not necessarily uh, represented proportionally. Like, I agree that this is like a problem. Um, and also, I don't think that it's like... like <laughs> The white DNA stuff, I'm like, I don't know. Like, that sounds like you're importing a concept that's foreign to Israel, that's foreign to Judaism, that's foreign to Jewish culture and Jewish identity and applying it. And I think that that's a big problematic aspect of it. It, it kind of sucks because she has something there. The fact that there's not enough Mizrahi representation for a party that's mostly a Mizrahi constituent. But that's all that that's valid in any of her statements. It, she, it did not come across normally at all. I think the whole white... Talking about DNA, period period. Just don't do it. Like, it's just not right. Yeah. So I don't think anything, I don't, I think her statements are, are, I don't even know how to work them, but I think we need to call them out for She was accused of just, racism. Yeah. I I don't even know, like, wh- wh- where to go about it, but I just, it's just not something that you say. And if you want to see more Mizrahi representation, be that representation. Lead the and way. Just, and say that. And, um, <laughs> Yeah, and say that. Just say we need more representation. Yeah, just say that. You don't have to. You don't have to. Um, you know, put the finger to those who are also working hard and you know have good intentions. And again, it could be frustrating that there's a huge lack of representation and that, you know, it's an issue there. And there's a history of you know racism towards Mizrahis in Israel. 
but that's not at all the way that you go about it. These are your colleagues, your coworkers. You need to respect and work with them. It's like in the law firm that I work at, I learned this from the attorney. He talks to all the other opposing attorneys. He calls them my colleagues. And he's super respectful towards them. And he's like, well, you have to be because we're going to be working with each other in the future. And he knows another case and we're not against each other. And that's something that I think that Miriam may have, you know, done the opposite of, like really set a divide, like as if it's us versus them. And I hate when that happens in politics. It's so cheap. First of all, Israelis are united. They always, there's so much intermarriage and that's why Israelis, there's like an Israeli look now, which is that look, which is like the blue eyes, but like the bushy eyebrows kind of. Gorgeous. Do you know what look I'm talking about? The word you're looking yes. for is gorgeous. Exactly. My, my roommate that's and I- That's the Israeli look. My, my roommate and I were watching, when he, were watching When Heroes Fly a couple days mm-hmm. ago. That's, I think I'm getting the name of that correct. Yeah. Right? Yes. No, no, it is, it is, it is. Okay. I know who you're talking about. He's in every movie. Tomer Capone. Ulay. Um, if you're listening, yeah. text me. Because, <laughs> wow. We had to turn uh, When Heroes Fly Off after three minutes because we were, uh, we, were too, uh, we were too distracted by him. We literally weren't reading the subtitles because he's just so... He has that Israeli look. And again, Isabella, the, the, the word you're looking for right now is, is beautiful. Anyway, I cut the conversation off. Should I you pull do some that, strings in the Rishon Etzion? He's straight, but listen, oh, okay. all spaghetti is straight until you warm it up. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I wanted to throw it back to Billy Regev. Um, no, if you had any final thoughts, because we, we moved conversation very quickly. No, I, I think that there's definitely something to be spoken about. People talk about the the issue of like Ashkenazi elite and the way that Ashkenazim in Israel, especially like in the early days within the labor party had dominated the political scene and worked to disenfranchise fellow Jews. So like, you got it. Like you got it. You have something to talk about. Instead of trying to score like some kind of weird political points, represent your people and and call it out. Like, obviously you can be like respectful, but also like call out the issues that are here because they deserve to be called out. Yeah. Miri Regev, stop talking about DNA. Do your job and be that Mizrahi representation that we want to see and stop embarrassing us. Thanks. Period. There it ends. That's it. There it is. So, Blake, I want to tell you, so Noah and I have booked a ticket to the Vatican. <gasps> and uh, we're going to go and we're going to... We're going to... We could take you with us. We, you could come along, but oh, we just would let you know. You're so we, kind. We, Yes, You're yes. We're getting a little impatient here. I know. So we booked a ticket. <laughs> I'm going to host a wedding there. Okay. And you'll really get a, a chance Jewish to speak wedding about the area. in the Vatican. A Jewish. No, no, not Jewish. Not, not Jewish. Jewish. Not stay Jewish. low key. Really, like we have to make it stay low key. It's going to be. And we're going to try to not marriage. use force. Yes, exactly. And we're going to you know scoop around, look, see what's happening, and then get the game plan. So this is our, you know, our first step, preliminary stages. On the ground it's intel. Sound. On the ground until the blueprint. Humans. I can't wait. Human yes. We're going to liberate the menorah from the Vatican basement, aren't we? Yes, we are. Stay tuned. I think, I think you guys, I think this is the end of season one of, of NZP. This is the end of season one of the New Zionist podcast. So this is the this is the perfect way to end it. You, the both of you, have taken initiative because I made so many. I made eight empty promises. But you're coming with us. But I am so. coming with you. And so I really hope that for the first episode of season two of NZP, Inshallah, Baruch Hashem. We will, we will actually have the menorah in our possession. We're working on it. On the way. 
All right, till then, <laughs> later guys. I'm a proud part of the diaspora. In my heart of whole Jerusalem and Africa. Kicked the side of our land and started gassing us. Till we put our foot down, cause we had enough. Check out the flag that I'm waving. Two blue stripes and a huge star, David. Check out the flag that I'm waving. Keep shooting rockets, but you never gonna take it. Hear him talking about the Jews will not replace us On college campuses that been trying to erase us And all that BDS campaigning We've dealt with worse problems and racist associations The students all acting stupid and thinking they're making differences Picking and choosing troops and not knowing what real resistance is Say you value social justice, are you kidding us? What the hell gives you the right to tell me who's indigenous? You don't have it, you just assume the privilege Of looking at other people and telling them what their image is You want the image to fit your twisted narrative But your divide and conquer tactics ain't scaring this diaspora Of which I'm a proud part Blue and white and my veins running through my heart And they get mad when we're surviving The truth is, only way they like a Jew is if they're dying So I'ma say this by the candlelight Take a moment and remember the fallen for the sacrifice Never again Never forget, they wanted us dead. We rose from the ashes instead. Belam di ma historia me dor le dor. No hi el anu ati im lo ni score. We wouldn't have a future if we didn't have a past. Every day we gotta take a minute and honor those who passed. Don't wake up determined, cause we're returning to the ways that they tried to erase that we're preserving. Scattered in the wind in diaspora conditions. Still maintain the connection to our traditions. Morocco to Havana, Yemen living in Aden. Ciudad de Mexico, Buenos Aires, we're all one nation. All of the oppression that they threaten trying to shatter us I'm still a proud part of the diaspora I'm a proud part of the diaspora In my heart of whole Jerusalem and Africa Kick the side of our land and started gassing us Till we put our foot down cause we had enough Check out the flag that I'm waving Two blue stripes and a huge star David Check out the flag that I'm waving Keep shooting rockets but you never gonna take it